Turn with me to 2 Timothy tonight, chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. It's been several weeks since we've been able to be together, and I actually had uh, planned to preach this message to the graduates on Graduate Sunday. I think I mentioned, I mentioned that maybe to the church, but uh, the Lord had led another, another direction. But I wanted to begin back here this evening. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is the chapter where Paul has been given Timothy commandments and exhortations to him as the young preacher. He's given these exhortations using some very powerful metaphors. Uh, if you remember, as we gl- look, just glance down through chapter 2, he has, he has compared and used the analogy and metaphor of uh, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, a workman. And then the last time we preached in the text, we looked at this vessel of honor. And tonight we come to the servant of the Lord in verse 24 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as we read this, if you think about the athlete and if you think about the soldier and the farmer and the workman, it will seem like this uh, analogy or the metaphor of the servant of the Lord is like a contradiction to these others. Because soldiers and athletes and farmers and workmen... They are aggressive in what they do. They have to be aggressive in order to survive. The servant of the Lord will be different, and there's no contradiction. When you and I are standing for truth, then we are to be definite and courageous. However, the servant of the Lord must never be arrogant or prideful. Listen carefully. Read along with me. Listen carefully to these words of the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, the preacher. I want to go back up and read verse 23 because I think it sheds a little bit of light on what he's telling him in relation to being a servant of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2, 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. We've looked at the soldier. We've looked at the athlete striving for his crown. We've looked at the farmer as he is working and laboring in his field. We've looked at Paul telling Timothy that he's to be like a workman in verse 15 who studies to show himself approved, that he will not be, uh, have to be ashamed whenever his work is seen. And we have looked at this vessel of honor in which a man purges himself from anything that would dishonor and keep him from being sanctified and being able to be used in the work of the Lord. Now we come to this subject of the servant of the Lord. Paul has just told Timothy in verse 23 that when he gets around foolish and unlearned questions, things that uh, those that he's ministering to will bring up, he said, I want you to avoid those things. And he says, because they only gender strife, they only cause problems. 
And then he tells him two things about the servant of the Lord. He tells him what he is to avoid, what he's to, what's to be prohibited in his life. And then he tells him what's to be developed, what's to be displayed. The servant is not to strive. We'll look at that in a moment. But then the servant is to be, in verse 24, he's to be gentle and he's to be apt to teach and to be patient. He's to instruct and do what he does in meekness. So these are some very needful and very powerful truths that speak not only to the young preacher Timothy, but to all of us tonight. There was, without question, a lot of problems in the church at Ephesus to which Timothy is ministering when Paul is writing. Other churches that Timothy will minister in or has ministered in, uh, he could have spent the rest of his life striving or quarreling or uh, dealing with all of these issues. He must deal with false doctrine. He must deal with false teachers. But Paul is saying you're not to do that in the same way that the false teachers are working. A true servant of the Lord does not act, nor does he have the characteristics of the false teacher. It is safe to say that if someone does that, if someone does strive all of their life, and if they deal with problems and questions and situations, if they deal with that in that quarrelsome and in that, uh, in that kind of manner, it would be safe to say that that individual would probably not be a true servant of the Lord. As I've been preparing this message over the past several weeks, there have been a lot of faces that have come to my mind as a pastor as I was reading these words. My own face was a part of that uh, of that gallery of pictures. I, I have taught young preachers for 26 years in the school of ministry, and almost every year, there may have been a few years that that was not the case, but almost every year you always find uh, a student who knows more than his teachers, and he wants you to know that. I specifically remember one student years ago uh, who walked out of my biblical counseling class that I was teaching after the second day, and as he walked out, he said to me, uh, this is a waste of time. He said, uh, people don't need counseling, they need to get along with God somewhere. And he walked out of the class. And of course, I continued to teach. Several years later, I received a phone call from this young man, and he asked me if he could come talk with me. We met here at the school and sat down and talked, and he said, I'd like to come back to school, and I said, that'll be fine. And he said, a few months after I walked out of your class, he said, I was called to a home of a member that I pastor, he and his wife. He said, the wife was in tears and asked me to help her husband. She said, he's been depressed for weeks and weeks. And he said, my response was, uh, he don't need any help for depression. He just needs to claim the scriptures and get along with God. And after he said that, the gentleman got up from the chair, walked back to the bedroom, and I'll leave the story there. But he came back to me and said, I sat that night and thought to myself, how foolish. He said, I'm ready to believe the Scriptures, especially Proverbs 11:14, where the Bible said, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. He said, I would have been so arrogant. He said, I've been so prideful. He said, I thought I had all the answers. He said, but I don't. 
Paul did not want the young preacher Timothy to live in that kind of an atmosphere. The situation in Ephesus and in these churches, there were some tough false doctrine and false teachers that had to be dealt with. But Paul knew if the young, timid preacher, if he went after that in that kind of attitude of quarreling and debating, he knew that he would soon be out of the ministry. You remember this young preacher, don't you? The young boy who Paul said, don't let men despise your youth. You remember this young man whom Paul said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake because of your often infirmities. You remember this young man who probably dealt with a nervous stomach and maybe was very anxious about things. And Paul said the servant of the Lord does not have to approach truth in the same way that the false teachers promote their lies. Paul said the servant of the Lord is a different man. He's different in how he deals with things. I then thought not only about people's faces when I looked at this, but I thought about a man in 3 John, verse number 9. I thought about the man in the third epistle of John, verse 9, a man by the name of Diotrephes. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Apostle John tells us about this man. He said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to have the preeminence among them, received us not. In other words, John said, I wrote, but Diotrephes was having nothing to do with what I wrote. He said, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth. And then John tells us what it was that Diotrephes did, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Uh, John said this man in the church by the name of Diotrephes, he was a man who loved to have the preeminence. In other words, he was selfish, he was self-promoting, he was self-centered. His name had to be at the forefront of everything. His character was the very opposite of what Paul is telling Timothy to be here tonight in our text. Diotrephes showed that he was not a true servant of the Lord by simply talking and assuming. That's what the words pratting against us with malicious words. He constantly run his mouth about everything that John was saying or writing. In his mind, all the brethren were wrong and he was right. If Diotrephes were alive tonight, you could find him on social media. He would respond to you every time that you say something that he doesn't agree with. Like some today, Diotrephes thought he had the answer to everything. Those who disagreed with him shouldn't even be in the church or in the family. John the Apostle said, I will remember that when I come to him. Serious, serious issues. Paul loves the young preacher Timothy as God's servant. And the Lord loves you if you're His servant. And He wants you to be able to minister and to handle life biblically. He wants me to be able to do that as well. Look with me at this word of prohibition in verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. Now this verse, these verses are not that complicated. I'm not going to spend a, a lot of time. I just want to touch on the meaning of these words. But I cause I think you already have the message. The servant of the Lord must not strive. The word servant there is the Greek word doulos, which means bond servant. 
the bondservant in Paul's day was bound to another. He was one that was bound to another, meaning he was to be completely controlled by his master. So the bondservant of the Lord, the individual who completely belongs to Christ and is controlled by Christ, Paul says to Timothy, that kind of man must not strive. Here it is being used in this context to describe one who is not controlled by their old sinful fleshly nature, who desires to quarrel and debate and argue, but one who is controlled by the new nature that is submitted and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. I've heard this said to me all of my ministry, whenever I would talk to anybody about these kinds of quarrelings and situations, they'd say, Preacher, you don't understand. That's just how I am. That's how we were raised. And I respond by saying, that's what salvation is for. To get us out of those things and to help us be like Christ. Now Paul uses this word, servant of the Lord, in this context. He is specifically preaching to Timothy about his preaching of the gospel and how he is going to confront false doctrine. However, his instructions for Timothy are not just for him. They're not just for the elders of the church or the deacons or the leaders of the church, but they're for the whole church. And they do apply. You say, well, that applies just to Timothy, preacher. No, it applies to all of us tonight. While many of us may not be in an official an official calling of God to preach. All of us are servants of the Lord in the capacity that when we're dealing with others and the truth of God, we need these same characteristics in our heart and in our lives. The servant, notice in the text, the servant belongs to the Lord. He doesn't belong to himself. He doesn't belong to a group. He doesn't belong to an ism. He doesn't belong to this or that. He belongs to the Lord, the servant of the Lord. He wanted Timothy to understand, you're not just my protege or my follower or my mentor or, or the one following me. You're not just that, Timothy. You are a servant of the Lord. He is that very servant like you and I are who are saved by God's grace. Paul referred to himself as a servant of Jesus in Romans 1.1 and Galatians 1.10. He referred to himself as a servant of God in Titus 1.1. And Timothy is a servant, and so are you and I if we've been saved. Now here's the prohibition. Paul didn't say it would be nice if the servant of the Lord avoids strife. It would be nice if the servant of the Lord would kind of keep his distance from it and only engage in it occasionally. That's not what the text says. The servant of the Lord must not. That word must is a word that is binding. He must not. It is necessary. It is essential. Paul said that you not strive and quarrel to try to, con uh, try to combat false doctrine. The way this is written and the way it's presented here in the text stresses that there's going to be a continual inward constraint to refrain from responding. As a matter of fact, the conversation I had this evening was uh, with a young preacher before church was about that very thing. He actually called to talk to me. He said, because if I tell you what's on, what I want to say, maybe I won't say it in another setting. And I said, I'm here, brother. I'll do what I can. So I listened, and I, and I listened. And when he got done, he said, thank you, because I, I don't feel as tempted now to say things that maybe I shouldn't say because I've talked through this or worked through this. 
So Paul is indicating to Timothy when he says a servant of the Lord must not strive. The words must not means that this is not going to be a one-time decision you're going to make and then it's never going to tempt you again. It means there's going to constantly be an inward and inward struggle with this in order to handle it and to obey it. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, writes this about these words, quote, Men can, with a few hasty words, set loose a torrent of anger and uncharitableness and cause the sweeping away of much good service and sweet fellowship. But who shall rule, restrain, or call back the raging flood? Anger does a man more hurt than that which made him angry. It opens his mouth and shuts his eyes and fires his heart and drowns his sense and makes his wisdom folly, end quote. Spurgeon was absolutely right. My spell check on my word processor told me that uncharitableness was not a word. I spoke back to my computer and I said, Spurgeon used it. It is a word. You're wrong and Spurgeon's right. He's exactly right. This word strive, look at it. What does the word strive mean? It means to quarrel. It means to fight. It means to dispute. The word was used in the Greek in a military conflict, such as hand-to-hand conflict. And in the judicial world, such as those who went to battle in a court of law. That's where the word was used often. What is Paul saying to Timothy? You're not to engage in a war of words with those who differ with him in one way or another. And you think what a peaceable world it would be in the morning if no one engaged in a war, in a war of words? Can you think of it? Do you know we are living in a world tonight where words have just exploded? As a matter of fact, if you have a phone or a, or a computer or an iPad or all that stuff, you don't even have to think what the next word's going to be. Type in a certain strain and they'll tell you what to stick in there. It'll pop up for you and you don't even have to think. You'll say, I wasn't going to say it that way, but that sounds good. And hit your sin button and the whole world hears about it. Paul is saying the servant of the Lord is prohibited from doing that. It's a flat prohibition. You cannot do it again, remember. Paul is not telling Timothy he cannot confront false doctrine. He is not telling Timothy that he is not to be verbal against false teachers or false teaching because that is the whole premise of what he's telling Timothy. He is just telling Timothy the false teachers up in verse 23 who talk about foolish and unlearned stuff. He said all they do is stir up quarrels and battles. But the servant of the Lord does not do that. Listen to what the Bible says in John 6, 51 and 52. Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That's good stuff, isn't it? Listen to the next verse, 52 of John 6. The Jews, therefore, meaning as a response to what Jesus said, the Jews, therefore, here's our word, strove among themselves, quarreled and fought among themselves, saying, how can this man give his flesh to eat? Jesus just said, I'm the living bread, and if a man will come and eat of this bread, which is my flesh, he'll have everlasting life. I give it for the world. And the first thing the Jews want to do is quarrel about it and argue about it. Again, the Apostle James writes this to believers. James 4, 1 and 2, From whence come wars and fightings among you? 
Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. He said, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. James said, you're continually quarreling and debating and fighting. Paul told the young preacher Timothy, and he's telling us tonight, it's a waste of time and a disgrace to our God for you and I to spend our life quarreling and debating about these issues. False teaching, as I said, in look back at verse 14 of chapter 2. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they, here it is, here's the word again, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. There are some words that are invaluable, some words that are precious, some words that carry such great meaning, and then there are other words that are absolutely without value, words that have no profit. Are these words that I'm about to say, are these words that I'm about to send, are these words that I'm about to communicate in a letter, are these profitable words? Years ago when we lived in Statesville, after Jonathan and Jana was born, I was with a particular insurance company, and I think it was right after Jana was born, I got my bill from the hospital and found that this great insurance company that I thought was going to pay things didn't pay things. So when I contacted them, they read a clause, and I forget what it was now, that said, you know, we don't cover this or this till you do this or this or that. Well, I didn't have the money to cover this or that or all of that in those days, and like many of us, we wouldn't have tonight. So I sat down at my typewriter, and uh, I wrote a letter to the man who sold me the policy. And uh, I didn't read it twice. I wrote it, sealed it, and put it in the mailbox. I came in, uh, I was coming to school up here at this time, and I came in from school, and Kim said, uh, you got to call this guy here. She said, what did you say to him? And I said, uh, who is it? She said, that's our insurance guy. She said, what did you say to him? That was before computer. I didn't keep a copy. I just made a, typed a letter and sent it. Didn't even use carbon paper and, and print another one. I, didn't have, I just sent it to him. And when I called him, he said, Pastor, he said, uh, I want to read this letter back to you. And before he got to the second paragraph, I said, stop. I said, I ask you to forgive me. I said, I shouldn't have wrote that. I didn't cuss him or anything. I just blamed him for all of my troubles. He was my problem, you see. He, he, and it wasn't his fault. I was striving. I was quarreling. I was debating. And I was in the wrong. That's not the way the servant of the Lord is to operate. So a word of prohibition. Do you see it in the text? If so, obey it. The servant of the Lord must not strive. Now look at the word of direction. If we're not to strive, how are we to handle it? Even how are we to handle false doctrine? How are we to handle things that have to be handled? How are we to deal with that? The situation I had was very minimal, not even worthy to be compared to this, but how should I have dealt with my situation? I should have dealt with that in the same way the Bible tells me. I should have been gentle. I should have been apt to teach. I should have been patient. I should have had meekness. I should have been the very way the Word of God said. The word gentle here means mild or kind. No matter if you're talking with someone who's terribly upset about an issue, no matter if you're talking about 
somebody that's got an axe to grind or some difficult person who's out to cause trouble or dissension, the Lord's servant is to be gentle unto all men, is what the Bible says. Not part of them, but we're to be gentle unto all men. That's exactly the way Paul was. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, he writes to them and he says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. We were mild and we were kind. We were gentle unto you. That's the way Paul said, I was with you. when I was with you, that's how I dealt with you. And that's the way God servants, that's how we have to deal with issues in life. It means that in our talking with you, in our interacting with you, Paul said, we were gentle. A parent does not respond to a child's wrongs with a fist any more than a nurse responds to a patient's pain with rude and ugly words. You have to do it in the right way. I was this past week at my dad's assisted living facility, and there's a precious lady there who hides around the corner, and when the door opens, she is moving on. She's gone. She hides from everybody, and you have to watch her. Of course, they have an alarm on the door. I've, I've learned enough now. I see her now, so when I go in, I quickly bring the door behind. But she did get out the other day, and she got out, and I saw her, and I told the lady, I said, she's out again. What if, she, what if that worker would have went out and got in her face and said to her, I've told you a dozen times to stay in here, maybe slapped her jaws a couple times, put her arm behind her back and drug her in? That's not the way you deal with people in that situation, right? Well, we need to be gentle in how we deal with each other in the family of God. Sometimes we act like we hate each other rather than love each other. Can I remind all of us tonight, myself included, we be brethren. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I know what this is. I know how it is. I've been there. I've shared with you before when I first started preaching, my sister and I, our relationship was broken for several years because I was a hot-headed young preacher. And she went to a church in town that I considered liberal. As a matter of fact, her church back in the 70s when I started preaching actually had a satellite dish. And some of you remember what those things were. They were as big as this, this platform up here. And her church had it. And I remember one Sunday night, I'd been told by somebody that if a man had one of them in his yard, he was looking at dirty movies. That's all that come across them. So me being a good preacher, I got up and said that one night. If you got them in your yard, you're watching dirty movies. And I also said, if you got one in your church yard, you're probably watching something else dirty. I didn't have enough sense to know at that time that the Southern Baptists owned what was called the Axe television network. It was a satellite network that had Baptist preachers on it 24-7. And that's what was in the yard at her church. Foolish. And she and I debated and finally we broke fellowship when I was ordained at my ordination service. My sister came to me. I should have went to her, but she came to me and I asked her to forgive me and we've been close ever since. Paul said, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. Secondly, and this one kindly threw me, this servant of the Lord must not only be gentle, but he must be apt to teach. And I'm thinking, why does, why, how does this fit? Why do you need to be apt to teach if you're going to be a good servant of the Lord? Because your actions, your words, and everything you respond to and how you respond to it is a lesson every day. And people are watching that. And I want to tell you, it carries a lot of weight as to how you respond. You can teach 
by responding. Now, I think it goes deeper than that. I think you have to know the truth of God's Word. And I think what Paul is saying here to Timothy, you better be apt to teach with facts and not with feelings. You can't teach out of feelings, but out of fact. You know, we've all heard preaching out of feelings, where a man is very vehement, or he's very emotional about a subject, and when he's done, you know he's emotional about that subject, you know how he feels about that subject, but you never learned what the Bible said about that subject. What does the Bible say about that subject? I've heard men say all my life, preaching against alcohol, about alcohol and all this stuff, and they're vehement about it. Man, they'll get in your face on it. And then when they're done, I know how they feel about it, but what does the Word of God say about it? That's what Paul is saying to the servant of the Lord. We must, not only, we must not only be gentle, but we must be apt to teach. We must present truth in fact and not just in feeling. Thirdly, he must be patient. That's a great word. It means he has to keep his cool. He has to be unruffled and not respond in kind to what people are handing him. That's not easy to do, but we can by God's grace. The servant of the Lord... In chapter 2 that I've read here, look at verse 1 again. Look where all this started. 2 Timothy 2, 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Why is Timothy going to need strengthening grace? He's going to need strengthening grace to be a good soldier. He's going to need strengthening grace to be a good athlete, a good farmer, a good workman to keep his vessel clean. And he's going to need the grace of God to keep his mouth shut. He's going to need the grace of God to back off. He's going to need the grace of God when he does have to deal with error. He's going to have to deal with it in a mild and in a kind manner which is exactly the way that our Savior dealt with it. Fourthly, look at verse 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. In other words, meekness means you can't take this personally, Timothy. You've got to understand that you've got to remain humble. These people you're going to deal with are opposing themselves. And here's, here's one of the blessings that I want to close with tonight. Look at, look at verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. And then look what Paul says. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him and his will. These people we, that, that sometimes we want to argue with and debate with and do all of that. Paul said to Timothy, if you will not fight, if you will not quarrel and debate, but if you will be gentle... And if you will be apt to teach, and if you will be patient with them, and in humility you share with them the truth while they're opposing themselves, it just could be that God may use that to grant them a repentance in letting them see the truth as it needs to be seen. And because of that, they'll get recovered or rescued out of the snare of the devil, and everything will turn out well. Isn't that amazing? He's saying to the young preacher, if you handle this correctly... It could lead to the restoration of someone's soul. It could lead to the bringing back and somebody being released from Satan's snare. It seems as if everyone tonight is living with some chip on their shoulder. People are just waiting for me, you, to say something, to post something, or like something or not like something. And when you do, watch out. Here they come. 
put an avenue of communication in front of our culture, and somebody's going to get ripped apart before the day's over. But not just in our culture. I did it with a typewriter years ago. Some preachers will do it with their Bibles tonight. And the servant of the Lord, though, he must not strive. Again, it doesn't mean that Timothy, Timothy's going to have to confront some serious doctrine, serious doctrinal error. He's going to have to give truth, but there's a right way to give it. What a needful truth this is for us tonight. It should humble us. It should cause us to think twice before speaking or communicating. I, never, I, I rarely text, usually just responses. And, and it, that's hard. I, I don't know if y'all have any, maybe the younger generation don't have any problem with it. I, I have trouble with text, figuring out where people are coming from. Sometimes I, you know, I, people send me a text and I think, well, are they mad or are they glad or what they are? My sister and I had that when we first started started texting back years ago with my mom and dad stuff and I'd, she'd text me a long thing and I'd just text back, uh, okay. Now that's before I knew how to do the thumbs up, I'd just do the actual okay and then my kids told me I didn't even actually have to put the O in front of it anymore. You can just do the K or whatever, but I, I would just say okay and then a little bit later she'd text me back and she'd say, are you really alright with that? Or you just That was a kind of a, you didn't respond. She wanted me to write back the same length that she wrote. Sometimes it's hard to gauge what people are thinking or saying in those situations. Well, let me close tonight with another word from God who knew that we would be where we are tonight, who knew that we would have all the technology that we have and be able to communicate like we do. But listen to what Paul said to the Philippian church in chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Let nothing, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's our desire tonight. That's what we're looking to be. A servant of the Lord. There's not much that we know about Timothy, only what we have here in Scripture. I've often wondered how life ended up for this young preacher. Somehow in my mind and heart, I just believe that these words written to him, this book was written personally to him, but it's practical for all of us tonight. But I just believe this young man turned out well to the glory of God because he obeyed what Paul had told him. May our lives turn out well. May it turn out the way God would have it. May we understand tonight what we can't do. And may we understand tonight what we can do and how we're to do it as we follow the Word of God. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You tonight for Your precious Word. Lord, a very timely Word for our day. Lord, in a day when communication is wide open, and people pour out how they feel, whether traveling behind a car or whether with a keyboard in hand or whether face-to-face, -face, people feel free to vent and, Lord, to say what they want to say and what they think, never thinking about the ramifications and the power of words and what it does. But, Lord, we're not of those people. We are Your children. We are Your servants tonight. We are Your bond slaves. You have saved us. You're our master 
And we must not respond in a way that's displeasing to you, to anything, to anyone at any time. So help me tonight, Lord, to obey the prohibition. Help me not to strive. Help me not to quarrel and debate. But help me, Lord, to be kind and mild in my responses. Help me, Father, to be apt to teach. Help me to be able to communicate truth in a way that people can embrace it and appreciate it. And help me to be humble, Father, and patient, and let you do the work. People believe what they believe, Lord, because that's what they've thought or what they've been taught. And Lord, help me to be patient. None of us got where we are overnight, and none of us will get closer to the truth, Lord, quickly. It takes that lifelong discipline of repentance and learning and repentance and learning and growing and maturing. And Lord, help us to see the benefit in this tonight. Not only is it obedience to You and pleasing to You, but Lord, it just may happen, as You said, that if we live like we should, that someone may repent. Someone may come to Christ, embrace truth, and someone may get released from the enemy's clutches and be free in Christ. So help us, whoever we are, pastor like I am tonight, preacher, Lord, Sunday school teachers, moms and dads, grandparents, employees and employers, God, whatever, whatever hat we wear tonight and whatever life brings our way, help us to be servants that would bring glory to your name. And we'll thank you and praise you and give you glory for all you do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.